Um, in regards to Kareem's hit, man, it's just, it's, I've sat on this committee, uh, the competition committee for a number of years and, and the child, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to work with and educate the players. And, and it, there are times when pad levels drop and, and, and I know Kareem and I know his heart and I know the way he's played. I, I think it's an easy narrative to say, well, he's just an old timer playing in a new timers game. But I, I, I really know that he's, and when you see the play, you know, it, his head's removed from the forceful contact. Uh, defenseless is, is a little bit more of the, of the issue relative to the position the receiver's in. But I just know where he's at as a player. Um, and so we'll keep working on that. I know he'll keep working on it. Uh, and, and that's something, I, you know, he's someone that's smart and really wants to, to do the right thing. And, uh, and, and so, the, but it's, it's, it's one of the toughest parts to our game for the officials, for the players, for all of us involved, um, of, of, of getting that to where it's, uh, it's clear and easy. And sometimes it's just not. That was Broncos coach Sean Payton speaking Monday about veteran safety Kareem Jackson, who shortly after Sean Payton's press conference was suspended by the NFL four games for his uh, escalation of unnecessary roughness penalties, the latest of which got him ejected from Denver's 19 to 17 win against the Packers in week seven. Um, Upon appeal, Kareem Jackson has had that suspension reduced to two games. So he will be out for Sunday's game at home against the Chiefs. And for the Monday night game on November 13th at the Buffalo Bills, he'll be eligible to return November 19th against the Vikings. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Not Another Bucking Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Kosmider, beat writer covering the Broncos for The Athletic. And, um, you know, Sean Payton was talking about there, you know, what what he knows of Kareem Jackson, that that he's his idea of the way that this guy is playing um, is not somebody who is intentionally – trying to be a dirty player to, to hurt, to hurt opponents. Um, you know, they, they, he talked about how that, that hit uh, against Musgrave in the fourth quarter of Sunday's game, um, you know, is attempting to get his head out of the way, leading with the shoulder. Uh, but the bottom line is Kareem Jackson. Um, it, it's a reputational thing for him at this point. He's had a season full of these sorts of hits um, and, and, and it, and it escalated for him. Uh, it's good news for the Broncos and for Jackson's, bank account that he got the suspension reduced to two games. Um, But that's going to put a big spotlight on PJ Locke, who in stepping in for Kareem Jackson on Sunday had the game clinching interception on green Bay's final drive. And um, you know, they, I think they expect that he's going to be able to somewhat seamlessly step into that role now vacated by Jackson next to Justin Simmons. Um, And the Broncos are going to need every bit of him uh, playing well. If they're, if they are to beat the chiefs, uh, these two teams played just a couple weeks ago in week six, a 19 to eight Chiefs win over the Broncos uh, at, at Arrowhead Stadium. This time the the rematch moves, of course, to Denver. And so we are going to speak with uh, my colleague, Nate Taylor uh, of The Athletic, covers the Chiefs for us, does a, does a fantastic job. Um, Nate's one of my favorites in this business, just an absolutely great guy with great insight into what is making the Chiefs, who are already the defending Super Bowl champions, uh, look like once again a team that could contend for that uh, for that crown. Uh, but first, the, the other thing I want to tackle here as we as we get going uh, on this episode real quickly is the trade deadline. You know, it seems like just the other day I had asked Sean Payton, um, you know, kind of the the balance of of having these discussions about the trade deadline, but also you know, kind of going through and preparing. And he said, 
it's still four weeks away. That that might as well be a lifetime. Well, here we are now. We're we're a little more than four days away. We're it's it's Wednesday, uh, October twenty fifth. The deadline is Tuesday, October thirty first. So by the time you guys are hearing this, four uh, five six days away from the trade deadline. And look, we we've talked about it. We've talked about it quite a bit. I, I think the 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 most obvious potential um, guy for Denver to be moved is wide receiver Jerry Judy. Um, the the twenty twenty first round pick for the Broncos. Um, he, he might be their most talented player at that position. And, you know, does a win over Green Bay um, change the calculus? Certainly, I think a win over the Chiefs on Sunday would for the Broncos. It would put them to three and five. I, I think I think if that if that were to happen, the Broncos are going to be a lot more in saying, hey, we're just starting to get this thing going. Let, let's let's pull together and see what we can do now. Uh, this is the part where we remind you that the Broncos have not beat the Chiefs since 2015. So. The, the chances of that happening as ever are low. Um, but, but again, you do have that couple day break in between that week eight game to, to kind of help you make that final determination. Um, but, you know, can you get a fourth round pick for Jerry Judy if he gets moved to a team like the Panthers or the Colts or another team in need of a young wide receiver? Um, you know, that, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, our Diana Rossini over at The Athletic, she reported last week that if the Broncos are to move to, to make deals, they're, they're not in some sort of fire sale mode, but the, but more likely their moves could come on the defensive end. Now, is that a, is that is that kind of people pushing that out because they're saying, hey, what, what you've offered us for Jerry Judy to this point is not enough. So we're just going to kind of say, hey, we're focusing on the on the defensive side of the ball. But if it is a defensive thing, I think a couple guys to look for. Are, are, are Josie Jewell, who's on the final year of his two-year contract with the Broncos at 29 years old, still, you know, kind of still sort of at, at, at kind of the back end of his prime, still still a viable player. Um, you could get him as a rental for, for probably pretty cheap if you're a contending team. Um, our Randy Mueller, um, at, at, uh, our GM analyst at The Athletic, kind of posited a, a trade with the Buffalo Bills, who right now are, are really hurting on the defensive end in terms of injuries. Um, you know, that, that he could be a guy that they look at, uh, as well as a guy like Mike Purcell, another guy on an expiring contract who's actually played pretty well on the inside for the Broncos, uh, rotating in there with DJ Jones. And then speaking of DJ Jones, he's another guy that I think potentially, um, you know, a team looking for defensive front help, uh, if they make a deal that the Broncos um, are interested in, um, could be another guy to, to keep an eye on. I would be surprised if Justin Simmons is in this mix. Um, you know, the Broncos defense has been markedly better um, since he got back from injury. Um, and if they are going to make any kind of run again, we're not talking playoffs. We're talking turning around this team and pointing it in the right direction. Um, Justin Simmons, you, you have to have him on your roster in order to make that happen. And we also saw Kevin Bayard, who is probably the, the closest Justin Simmons comp at safety in terms of production. Um, you know, Justin Simmons has, has 20, 28 interceptions since coming to the league in 2016. Bayard has 27. So th those guys have kind of been neck and neck in terms of, you know, among that argument of best best free safety in the NFL over the last seven or eight seasons, um, he got traded to the Eagles for uh, I, I believe it was a fifth uh, a fifth round pick, um, a fifth and a, a fifth and a sixth round pick in 2024. In addition to to Terrell Edmonds, another another young player uh, from the Eagles went over to uh, the Tennessee Titans. So to me, if that is the return that you're getting for Justin Simmons, I think you hang up and say thanks, but no thanks. Um, if you're going to part with him. 
Um, again, and we talked about this before, I think, I think Justin Simmons needs to be on board. If you're really trying to show the kind of culture that you have for the team and the appreciation for you, that you have for guys who have really done it the right way for you, I think it's somewhere you need to send him somewhere where he has a chance to win and, and know that he's kind of on board with it. Um, and so I just, I just don't know that all those things are going to come together, uh, when it comes to Justin Simmons, but we will see, uh, four or five days there, there's going to be a, a lot of movement with teams coming up uh, in these days. And we'll, of course, be all over it, both here on the podcast and uh, my work over at The Athletic. With that, let's get to our conversation, uh, a great one with with Nate Taylor, uh, Chiefs reporter for The Athletic. Um, he is our guest on this week's Not Another Bucking Podcast. All right, now thrilled to welcome in this week's guest to the Not Another Bucking Podcast. It's my colleague at The Athletic who covers the Chiefs for us, does a, does a phenomenal job covering uh, one of the league's top teams over the last, shoot, eight years now. Uh, Nate, man, thanks for um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to do it, Nick. Uh, I don't know why the NFL scheduled it this way, but I guess I guess they have to play each other in less than like three weeks. It's, it's a bit unusual, but I'm happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, people are obviously frothing at the mouth to get back to one of the league's most competitive rivalries, so they just said, hey... <laughs> No time in waiting for this. Um, look, man, I you know I I, I, meant to, I wanted meant to ask you this when I was in Kansas City because um, you know this this streak now stands at 16 games, 16 wins in a mm -hmm. row for the Chiefs. Uh, goes back to uh, the Peyton Manning era in 2015. Wow. Uh, that season, um, second game of that year, the Chiefs won, uh, and they have won ever every one since, including every start for Patrick Mahomes. Um, but Frank Clark, when when he signed with the Broncos in the offseason, the first time that we spoke to him, I remember this. Yes. He gets asked about it and he says literally for us like it's not it's not viewed as a rivalry and he made it sound like it's something that doesn't even get brought up or thought about here every time this game comes up mm. you hear the, the number gets remembered the talk about it remembered is it sort of just another game in kansas city like how, how is it viewed on that end yeah i i think it's such a great question because i understand or i understood at the time why frank said it that way just because um the Chiefs and Broncos are are obligated to play two times a year. It just so happens that the Chiefs have won every time, like since the second term of the Obama administration. So, like, I I get the sense that like they care because it's a divisional game because they they feel like they should win it. Um, but at the same time, like you know, they don't have like that game does not present the same juice it used to, right? I think early in the Andy Reid era back in 2013, like that was the that was the team that the Chiefs were chasing, right? They were chasing the Broncos and Peyton Manning, Von Miller, just excellent teams. And now the roles have flipped, and for whatever reason, um, Mahomes is sort of like this. I don't know. He does these these elite things against the Broncos that like only the Broncos have to suffer through, and it's it's a bit like. If, and on one hand, it's it's hilarious. On the other hand, it's kind of sad. I understand if you're a Broncos fan because it's like, man, you don't have to throw a left-handed pass against us, and you don't have to do these like weird flips where you know Jeffrey Simmons is one of one of the best safeties in the league, and he's just like, you don't do that to anybody else, you know? Like and Jerick McKinnon's running, you know, fifty yards downfield. Yeah. So obviously, you and I have watched a lot of these games, um, but I think for the Chiefs, like the Chiefs look at it especially now, and I, and I wrote about it, but, like, they have won the division pretty comfortably the last six, seven years. 
So they start looking forward to games against like the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night or, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals who they've played in, you know, a couple AFC championship games. Um, You know, I I thought the chargers were going to be the team that was like perhaps the biggest threat in the division, but there should have been like juice, you know, two weeks ago when it's like, okay, Sean Payton, like he's going to make Russell Wilson a better quarterback. Uh, They made all these free agent signings and it was just like another dud. So um when that happens again like the chiefs are just like well i i guess i guess the streak continues and you know on our side as reporters we we ask the questions but to them they're just like i don't know man it's week it's week eight like yeah. that's where they are um which is wild because um it's such a difference from where the you know the rivalry was you know even before patrick mahomes showed up in kansas city yeah, and it's it's interesting because I mean I don't I don't know if you know it off the top of your head, but the the Chiefs' record in the division with Mahomes as their quarterback, I mean they've only lost three or four games in general, mm-hmm. so it's not as if like like losing to the Chiefs a bunch is a holy Broncos problem. Like right. it's just, it just right. happens that they don't have even one win to to show for it, and they, they therefore have the longest streak in uh, longest divisional losing streak in the NFL, um, and so. Since since I started that question with Frank Clark, I, I wanted to ask that because we'd seen something last week about you know Andy Reid said, "Hey, we 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 love Frank. There's nothing there right now. What, what's going on with this? Is is he going to end up back with the Chiefs? I think so, Nick. I, I really do. Um, I'm sure for the time he was there, you 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 enjoy talking to him. I uh, I, I love Frank Clark <laughs> just because he. Uh, you know, most athletes are like, no, I, I you know, I, I try to listen to like what the team tells me or what the PR staff asks me to, you know, sort of uh, voice and not to give too much, you know, uh, ammunition to everybody. No, Frank doesn't care about that. Frank just says whatever he wants to say. Um, he wants to be back with the Chiefs. That's sort of been the understanding around the league. I think for their standpoint, the Chiefs are trying to get through the trading deadline. Mm-hmm. Um and I've explained it a little bit before, but last week they traded from a Cole Harmon, right? Yeah. And so that sort of made things a little bit awkward. It's like Frank's ready to come aboard, but the Chiefs have an injury with Justin Watson. So it sort of expedites them trading for McCole Hardman. Um, but now, you know, Nick Bolton is not going to play in Sunday's game because of a, you know, dislocated left wrist. Um, so that does open up a roster spot. I don't know what the Chiefs will do if they'll just elevate somebody from the practice squad that's already there or if they'll, you know, sign Frank Clark later this week. But my understanding is it, you know, and I'm sure the Broncos probably feel uh, grateful about this, but, like, I, I don't necessarily, even if the Chiefs sign Frank Clark on Thursday or Friday, I don't necessarily see him playing yeah. uh, against his former team on Sunday. So my understanding right now is, you know, the Chiefs don't necessarily have a have a need, you know, it's not an immediate need to feel, but they know he can obviously be a valuable, you know, contributor uh, towards their postseason run so he might be on the team more or less in November um, yeah. when the Chiefs and Broncos don't have to face one another yeah yeah it's an interesting um, kind of just an interesting dynamic given how close these two games have been. right um, you know I, I want to ask you um, about the about the Chiefs defense and you know for me that was the story of the week six matchup is that you know Russell Wilson had arguably his worst game as a Bronco mm. you know he could get 95 yards on 22 attempts. Um, you know, the Broncos turned it over three times. They sacked him four times. And then the Chiefs turned around against the Chargers and and added five more sacks to their season total without Chris Jones even being a part of that mix. Right. What is it about what 
what is the biggest difference with this Chiefs defense this season? Because they, they've always kind of been one of those defenses that rise to the level when they when they need to and, and, and come up with those critical moments. But it seems like just they are just overall the, the unit that is if not carrying this team, certainly the equal of, of Patrick Mahomes and that unit on the other side. Yeah, we are we are in a strange time, Nick, where <laughs> like like the Chiefs don't have to score 30. Like it's just one of those like strange things. Like, you know, I wonder in some ways if it's freeing for like Patrick Mahomes that like he doesn't have to score 30 every game or that's not sort of a prerequisite. Um, because the defense is young and it's dynamic. And, you know, I think in years past, Nick, like there were certain areas that you could sort of pinpoint or sort of you know, manipulate and sort of expose in the Chiefs defense. There always used to be like those one or two spots where there were clear weaknesses compared to like other places on the on the field. The Chiefs don't really have a weakness on on defense. And I think that's one of the biggest surprises of the year. Um, you know, for as much love as Patrick Sertan gets, and I understand why, you know, Trent McDuffie has been just as, you know, quality of a defender. Um, yeah. even though if he doesn't have necessarily the splashy, you know, interceptions uh, that Sertan can can obviously make. You know, I think with Chris Jones now being this, you have to double team defender. You know, George Karloftis is getting better in year two. He's rushing from the edge and getting a sack. Um, you know, Charles who didn't play in week six because that was the last week of his six game suspension. So he'll be back um, for this. You know, part of the of the two game series. Um, he got a sack in his first game back, and so he's someone who's versatile who can work inside and out. Um, everybody knows that Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator, loves to blitz. So you're going to get, you know, a, a Willie Gay blitz. You're going to get maybe something from Drew Tranquil, uh, who's going to be filling in for Nick Bolston. Um, but I think the best part of the defense is their secondary, right? Right. The idea that um, teams really haven't thrown the ball with deep with a lot of success, right? Justin Herbert got him one time um, in this past game. Uh, but really in the second half, they sort of shut off that option, right? So you have to not only be disciplined, but you have to sort of be methodical in these drives to get down the field against the Chiefs defense, which, again, is very uncommon. It's unusual. Um, but one of the things that I realized in that week six game was, man, if 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 Cortland Sutton's not getting open immediately and Russell Wilson isn't athletic enough or isn't as athletic as he used to be to sort of scramble to extend plays, then where's he supposed to go with the football? Yeah. You know, and that sort of comes back to, you know, Sean Payton and the coaching staff. Uh, but yeah, it was at some point, I believe in the third quarter, Nick, where he had maybe 70 yards passing and you're just sitting there going like, wow, like, okay, they tried the deep shot. Well, Nick Bolton got an interception. They tried the, you know, they tried bunch formations and it was a wash. So um, for the first time in the Mahomes era, the Chiefs don't necessarily have a weakness. So they make you earn it when you do score a touchdown. Yeah. And it's, and it's really an interesting thing. And you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the taking away um, the deep ball, you know, Russell Wilson in that first game averaged 5.3 air yards per attempt. That was the seventh lowest of his career in 180, 180 starts. And um, you know, I kind of wrote today that um, you you understand why that was why that's the game plan, right? When you when you play the Chiefs, it's you know get, don't don't get behind the sticks, don't make negative right. plays, try to get yourself into third and shorts, convert, run the ball, keep keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. I mean, we, we know what the we know what the blueprint is, 
Right. But on the flip side, you looked at that and like they played an extremely conservative approach for Russell Wilson. And it ended up with, you know, he still threw two interceptions. He still was sacked four mm. times. So to me, it's like, I know that you're, you're completely right about that, that being their, their strength in the secondary. My, my, the thing that I'm curious about in this game is the Broncos have started to run the ball a little bit better. They had 145 yards against the Packers on Sunday. They did a pretty good job running the football against the Chiefs in week six. Javante yep. Williams had 52 yards on just 10 carries. To me, it's can you create create those play action opportunities? Because when you look at the defense statistically for, for the Chiefs, that's the only area where they're like middle of the road is, is against the play action pass. Problem is the Broncos haven't been that effective in creating those shots, and <laughs> uh, which makes me – Again, wondering why their their speed demon Marvin Mims has only gotten two targets the last two weeks. Um, yeah, so. especially because he he his entire draft profile was man that guy can run right yeah. <laughs> right right. So it's been it's been interesting, but that that to me is is going to be the key to this. Like when you when you play that ultra conservative approach, you your margin for error is essentially zero. And mm. and and you know. Again, even though the Broncos defensively in the red zone played well, if you're not if you're punting or turn the ball over on six straight possessions, you're going to get beat by field goals alone. So, I'd I'd like to see the Broncos try to at least if they're going to go down go down swinging a little bit more than they did, um, you know, at Arrowhead. Yeah, it's it'll be exciting if the Broncos have a better like opening game script and they get a lead. Right, that has been one of the things that you know I I found to be interesting is like. Well, you know, most opponents are not putting a ton of pressure on Mahomes, and Mahomes doesn't already feel pressure because, like, his defense is playing well. So, uh, you know, the Chargers never led in last week's game. The Broncos never led. Like, they're starting to play in front, and then they and then the defense sort of squeezes the life out of the game, right? Right. Because they don't give those explosive plays. So, if the Broncos are to have a really good first quarter, uh, then yeah, they have a chance to to make it you know, a, a pretty fun back and forth um, experience on Sunday. And look, you know, I know that there's some Chiefs fans that think, well, this is a trap game because, you know, they're the Chiefs after this will go to Germany and they'll play the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the uh, first time Tyreek Hill will play his former team. Yeah. Um, my thought to that is it's not a trap game if you beat the opponent 16 straight times. <laughs> so... You've at least got to let the trap game element come into play in the second half. And in order to do that, like get a lead yep. and like make the Chiefs sort of play from behind because they haven't done that in the last several few weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, and the other thing that the Broncos have to contend with that every team in the NFL has to, had to contend with that has played them and not done such a good job is is defending Travis Kelsey. He was, he was the one guy, uh, obviously, that got off against them in week six. He's playing at just a phenomenal level. And I was, I was looking it up, um, you know, his, his career stats through seven games year to year. It's about, it's about equal. He, this is his most catches um, through, mm. through week seven uh, at any point in his career, but the yardage is, is on par with a couple of the previous years. Um, he's drawn a, you know, drawn more D DPI yards, but I think all that was on one, one defensive penalty that he drew. Um <laughs> Uh, but but his catch rate uh, is the highest that it's been at this point. What is from somebody who's watched essentially his entire career? Is there anything unique about this? Is it just a continued evolution of his sort of telekinesis with Patrick Mahomes? What what, what is sort of working so well for him right now aside from new love? Yeah, I I, I love that you brought up the catch rate because the thing that blows my mind is he is their entire offense. Like <laughs> it is him and Mahomes. Like everything else. 
is not even like secondary in my mind. It's like, hey, we have a decent third option. You know, it's like Isaiah Pacheco, who's like, you know, a, a quality running back. But like, you know, we only give him the ball like 12 times. So let's just, you know, hey, he's open again. Like, it's just, it's amazing. You know, the the play in week six that blows my mind, and I'm going to write about it hopefully pretty soon, is just, you know, the Broncos are like, fine, no more zone. Like Travis Kelsey just devours zone coverage no matter how good you play it, he will sort of cheat or he'll sort of move a defender. And because Mahomes has such a strong arm, it usually beats the zone before the two defenders can sort of close that window. Um, But in week six, they're like, fine. All right. Packers are 10. You have him in the red or like just outside the red zone. Inside the 30. Yeah. And it's that sort of nifty, make it look like I'm running a post. Maybe I'm running a post and out. Uh, give me a little shimmy. It's a deep, it's a deep over route. And Patrick Sertain is never fooled. He's just like, no, I've seen this because we play two times a year. <laughs> like, you're not fooling me. And he only gains like maybe less than half a yard of separation. Yep. But the ball is on time, on the money. And even though Patrick Sertain does, I think, everything right. Good as you could have done on that play, yeah. He still catches it. <laughs> and like that I think that's the most impressive thing is like not only is he a great route runner in Travis Kelsey, but he's catching literally everything um, to help their offense yeah, be, point. you know, uh, you know, above the league average. Like there was a concern because Kelsey's dealt with, you know, the hyperextended knee. He's dealt with the, you know, uh, ankle sprain yep. um, that, hey, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's sort of maybe age is starting to catch up a little bit. And I think for Broncos fans, I can say like, I truly believe this might be his last great year because he's 34. He can't do this at age 35, 36, 37, right? Like that's that would be wild. But right now, you sh- like it's so tough. Like you should play zone. I understand why defenses do it, right? You should play zone because it can sometimes uh, fool the receiver and it can fool the quarterback. The problem is Mahomes and Kelsey have just seen so many variations of zone that they're also sort of playing off of what you play. So instead of the defense sort of forcing the issue, they're almost adjusting in the middle of the play. It's one of the most awe-striking things I've seen, and it's really hard to explain. Uh, And I'm trying to get Travis Kelsey to tell me the secrets, and he won't (laughs) tell me, and it's annoying. But I would just put Patrick Sertan on him the entire game. I know it breaks every rule that you have because he's a corner. He should be covering receivers. He should be on the boundary, which he's really, really good at. And like, even though he was in the slot on that play that I that I mentioned, he still did a great job. So, no opponent yet has forced the Chiefs for somebody else to beat them, right? Like, can somebody? And that and that's what I'm really fascinated by is like, okay, you played this team two weeks ago. You understand that he like carried their offense for much of like two quarters, right? Like, if 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 we have to put Patrick Sertan on him, then sure, let Marquez Valdez-Scantlin have a few chances. You know, Rasheed Rice is really good, but he's a rookie. So, you know, if the Broncos can get a turnover to and at least limit the catch rate of Travis Kelsey, which is don't let Mahomes target him. Right. Because, uh, again, he's catching everything right now. Um, then you have then you'll have a better, obviously, defensive success rate than you did in the first game. Um, but whenever it's so funny you watch the all 22 and it's like hey patrick like that guy's open and he's like 
yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey's right Kelsey's there, right and he there. just and he, and he's just he just <laughs> throws it between two guys, and you're like, well, I guess I can't really criticize him because you know, right? It's Travis Kelsey. So I mean, I. You know, it's like, hey, wasn't the play designed for that? And he was like, yeah, but then I looked at Kelsey and Kelsey was open, so I just threw him the ball. There, there's some, like, and there's something so like there, there's a comfort in that, like for them, um, especially when you when it's like a have to have it type of play. And it really reminds me, um, Nate, we have a pretty good basketball team in this town and um, yeah, got, got back at it last night as they began their title defense. But last year in the finals or um, I'm sorry, in the conference finals against mm. the Lakers, you know, they win game one and all the talk is about how the Lakers sort of figured out this defensive scheme in the second half to, to <laughs> work Nikola Jokic. And they're going to they're going to use that the rest of the series. And and they, you know, and the, and the Lucker and the Nuggets are just kind of like beside themselves because they won the <laughs> right. game. And yep. and B, it's like you think there's anything that Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray haven't seen that they're not going to come up with their own sort of improv- yes. improvised way to handle. And that that's what it is. You can study, you know, Sean Payton on Monday was talking about his his hot folder for the Chiefs that goes back years and all the, all these kinds of things. And it's just like, but every week it could be thrown out because they'll find some different way to address what it is that you're that you're doing. And I just I just imagine that it's it is absolutely maddening to play against. Like I would love to be in like the mind frame of of a you know of a linebacker who's who's just I am in the spot I'm supposed to be in. Like what? Right. I'm following all my right. rules. <laughs> And like, why is he catching it for twelve yards? <laughs> Everything we are supposed to do. <laughs> yes, yeah. it, it's such a great point that you bring up uh, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Because one, I, I enjoy watching the hell out of them. But two, it's like it's so right. It's like, hey, like you, you like you don't think he's gonna like figure out like I, again? I know Anthony Davis is really good on defense, but like that guy's the MVP, yeah. and he's just he's gonna lull you to sleep, or he's gonna do something unique. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, one of their things that I loved last year was just like, Nicole Jokic just started taking more threes. And it's just like, yep. yeah, okay, yep. well, he can do that too. Cool. It's just like, now we, now what do you expanded this space that we have to defend because he's yes. here shooting threes. Yes. And so it's, it's, a, it's a joy. Um, and obviously they're really good. And it was fun that last night it's like, Hey, let's, let's do it again. And it's like, I don't need to see this game. I don't need to see this game ever again. Like hopefully those two teams don't play in the postseason because, you know, LeBron would have to score 50 to keep to keep the game close. But uh, but yeah, like it's such a good point. And what the the beauty of that is. You feel like as a linebacker, as a safety, OK, he's going in motion. OK, all of our eyes are on him. Like we know, it's, OK, when he's in this spot, he usually does two or three things. And then the beautiful thing is injury will say, OK, everybody look at Travis Kelsey. He's going in motion. And then. It's a screen yeah. to McKinnon, yep. and you're just like, yeah, I'm out of I'm out of position. I'm not looking at the right person. <laughs> They've given the ball to a very capable receiving running back, and you know, so they use your eyes against you in a in a in a great way. And it, yeah, it has to be infuriating because you know wherever Kelsey goes, your eyes should probably be there, uh, but they'll use that you know against you. Yeah. Yeah, the the uh, the damage that they do with the unscouted looks is is always something that that marvel that I marveled about with the uh, with the Chiefs. Uh, Nate, before I get you out of here, man, is there any any other any other thing that um, has you has you intrigued by by this game? Obviously, the Broncos will be without Kareem Jackson, who yeah. was suspended for two games for the hit that he had on Luke Musgrave in Week Seven. Um, but PJ Locke, his replacement, who who missed the first game while he was still recovering 
from his offseason ankle injury, um, had the game-clinching interception. So the Broncos feel pretty confident in him, but of course, a big test. Anything, anything in your in your mind that that intrigues you about this this game outside of what we've already talked about? It's really deep into the roster construction weeds. <laughs> I just want to tell everybody that I love that Sean Payton is petty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. I love every part of it. Sean Payton's like, you know, Frank, you've been dealing with an illness. We would love for you to play against your former team. It's kind of why we signed you. He's like, I don't want to be here. Actually, here's all the money back or half of it or whatever it was. I, just, I can't imagine just giving millions away oh, to just get out of a job. Uh, so they let him go. They're like, fine. Can you not like, like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to release you after the game. Um, and then the Chiefs are like, man, uh, well, we got Charles Minihu coming back from suspension. We want to we want to sign Frank, but oh man, we're like Justin Watson got injured, so we need to like trade for McCole Hardman. And you know, like front offices always go through this process of like, man, we got to waive somebody. We don't want to waive somebody, and especially because the Chiefs are so young, we don't want to waive one of our rookies. Right? They waive Keandre Coburn, who I love and adore. And he got a bad deal just because, you know, he's playing the same position as, uh, you know, Chris Jones. You're just not going to get on the field as a, as a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> so they wave Keandre Coburn, and the Chiefs are like, we'll get him back. We'll get him back. We'll wave him. He'll clear waivers. He'll be on the – what? <laughs> well, he's going where? Oh, man. <sighs> I, I just hope Keandre Coburn plays in this game because – it is one of those interdivisional rivalry type things where you're like, I know what you guys are doing. I know it. And you're going to get Frank? No. Right. Do we, do we even have, do we even like Keandre Coburn in the draft? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Bring him back. You know, you know what's so funny about that, Nate, is the other day, Sean, uh, he goes on these tangents, and, and one of the things he back to is like, you know, there's all these all this talk about, hey, you, you, sign, you sign a guy that gets, or, or uh, you sign a guy's, a guy off a guy's practice squad, or you sign, um, you sign a player that somebody has cut. Um, yep. You're not really getting anything from what they're doing because, like, the tape is endless. It's not as if they're giving you any schematic edge. He's like, the only thing you could potentially find out from those kind of guys is like, hey, is so and so hurt? Are they dealing with something or whatever? Mm. But he more or less said that you, it's it's not a big deal, almost as if to say like you do it for petty reasons. <laughs> yes, yes, I. I loved it. I honestly loved it. I was like, well, man, that sucks. Keontae Coburn's like a pretty good talker, young guy. Uh, Him and his, uh, I think he has a wife, or him and his girlfriend, his significant other, they had a baby, like, you know, months before the draft. So, like, you know, you kind of understand, like, man, it's tough to, like, just, you know, one day you're on the team, next day you're on another team. But at the same time, it's like, Keontae Coburn, just the just the epitome of NFL pettiness. <laughs> it's just like I think he's a talented player. I think he'll work out in Denver. Uh, I know the Chiefs were not thrilled, um, yeah. but like, hey, like you made that decision. He was available. The Broncos, you know, picked up what I think could be a pretty good player, if not this year, obviously in year two or year three of his of his rookie contract. So I just want him on the field. I know that might be a long shot, uh, but it would be fun to just to just know that like. That probably angered Andy Reid. <laughs> so, and it's weird. It's we need fireworks. We need fireworks on both ends. Campaign's usually just out here making friends. So I'm, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Nate. Well, hey, I can't wait to see you in Denver this weekend. When do you, when do you get in? You get in come in Saturday. Yeah, come in Saturday night. Um, you know, because it is such a short 
flight. But uh, but yeah, I I love Denver. Um, I you know we're we're missing sort of that snow range. Yeah. Um, but, but I'll be, I'll be happy to, I mean, that stadium, I, I, by the way, I really enjoy, uh, their stadium. It's, it's so cool. Um, it's a great atmosphere. Like the building shakes. I still remember like how cool it was, uh, back in 2018, 2019 when the place was just like, you know, raucous. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Denver's great. I won't go up to the mountains or anything, but, uh, but yeah, Yeah. I'm happy to, I'm happy that this is the literal shortest trip of the season before I go on literally the longest yeah, in Germany. Yeah, well, that's that's gonna be exciting. I can't wait to hear about your um, about your journey to a, to Germany when you get back. Uh, it'll be your first trip to Empower Field since they uh, did a hundred million dollars in, in upgrades. So scoreboard now yeah. adds to the. Adds it's the nice. They have Starburst in the in the press box now that they give up. The oh. game, so it's good to go, man. <laughs> All right, Nate, can't wait, can't wait. And um, appreciate you guys all for listening. Please subscribe, leave a comment, let us know what you think. Share us with your friends. Uh, Thanks for listening to Not Another Bucking Podcast, and we'll talk to you all soon.